0: Would you turn, please, in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. We have a number of scriptures we want to use this morning in connection with this message. But we begin with a text in Proverbs, chapter 10. And I wish you would memorize that verse. Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 5. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We've been reminded that it's all in Jesus. He's the one we love. We pray that the people this morning will hear beyond the preacher. They'll hear the word of Jesus, speaking to a thirsty soul. Bless those who are distraught, some who are discouraged, Some are having to face a lot of hard decisions. Especially, we pray today for those who are without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Who do not know the Lord, their rock is not as our rock. They do not know Jesus, but may thy spirit draw them by the bands of love and holy urgency to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. In Proverbs 10 verse 5 he that gathereth in summer is a wise son but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame would you read that with me Proverbs 10 5 he that gathereth in summer is a wise son but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. The thought in this passage classifies people, separates people, and motivates people. You think of it. We're entering the summer months. In a very real sense, this is the first Sunday of summer, though we're still in the spring. June, July, and August are summer months. To the farmer, they're very, very important months. By this time, if the rains will let up, farmers may be in good shape and have all the crops ready for an early harvest. These summer months are exceedingly important. The word gathereth there does not not necessarily re- refer to going out in the fields and gathering the harvest, but it refers to preparing things in such a way, the Hebrew word that is used, preparing things in such a way that there can be something to gather when the harvest comes. And so the next thought is in line with that same, this is a Hebrew parallelism. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. He that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causeth shame. And in a very real sense, they both mean the same thing. It's two ways of saying the same thing. And these words have a spiritual lesson to our hearts. They classify people. They separate people. They motivate people. First of all, this passage classifies people. There are many classifications in the world today. We live with it. The lazy and the industrious, the loafer and the worker, the dedicated and the do-nothings, the do-muchers and the do-littlers, the daring and the deadheads, the haves and the have-nots, the capitalist and the communist the prudent and the procrastinator, the saint and the sinner, the saved and the lost, the sanctified and the satisfied, the soul winner and the shirker, he that gathereth and he that sleepeth. What is there to gather? Well, immediately the farmer thinks of the crops and the corn and the wheat. And anybody here who has ever had an experience with any kind of garden knows that there's a time you have to plant. You have to water those plants literally with your tears if you're going to have anything, any result. I don't mean necessarily you go out there and cry over them so sometimes you may feel like doing that. But you give them the very best you have. You pour your very life into it. If you're going to have anything come up. A few weeks ago I was just out visiting some of our folks and they were telling me about some tomato plants they'd put out. I hope they remember that I like tomatoes when they come right. And there's the time when you put out all those cucumbers and all those beans and all those, all those things you put out that people like to eat. And you go out in the farm and you see all of the things that are put out on the farm and eventually there's going to be a harvest. But if the farmer and the gardener does not invest some time out there in the field, some of his love and some of his energy and some of his talents and some of the very woof and puff of his life, he's not going to get any harvest. That's what this is all talking about. Now there are many things that we need to gather in life. We need to gather some friends along the way. But we have to invest. He that would be, have friends must be friendly we want to gather some knowledge along the way but in order to gather knowledge we have to invest some time to study we want to gather some understanding along the way in order to gather understanding it takes a heap of living people are I guess maybe some people are born with more of a prone toward understanding than others but all of us can work on building an understanding personality so that we don't bump into people like that but our lives go like that with one another. And we have a spirit of understanding and love. And we don't have to punch each other out in order to get along. We can understand what we're like, what we're made of. I'm so glad the Bible tells us God remembers that we're dust. He remembers our frame. And like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The Bible also tells us that there's something far more important to gather along life. That is the preciousness of souls. In Proverbs 11:30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And in Daniel 12, 3, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever and in 1 Corinthians 15 34 awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of truth I speak this to your shame and in Romans chapter 10 how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring good tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If we're going to reach people for Christ, if we're going to gather precious souls for the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to see people around the Father's throne in heaven, that we want to see there, father and mother and brother and sister and son and daughter, neighbors and friends and loved ones and members of our Sunday school class, people that are on our prospect list. If we're going to see them in heaven, then we have to gather them while there's time. And the burden of my message this morning is, he that gathereth in summer is a wise son. There's so much in the Bible that tells us the urgency of doing what needs to be done, what we find that should be done, doing it immediately. Some gather and some do not. Jesus spoke of the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man built his house on the sand. The rains came and the floods came and they beat it down and the sand house went flat. The wise man built his house upon the rock, which is Christ. And the rains came and the floods came and the house stood firm. During the summer, some of the greatest things that have ever been done in this church have been done in the summer. Did you know that Glendale Baptist Church was founded in the summer? The first Sunday school of this church was founded in June 1955. A little band of people began to meet. Some of you in this room were part of that little band. For a while you met in on a house over on Jones Avenue. Just met as a Sunday school. And then later in the summer, you instituted and constituted the church. It was in the summer you did that. It was also in the summer of 1956 that it was determined that they would buy this piece of property this church is on. And it was then that ground was broken for the construction of that first unit of building, which was occupied in January of 1957. It was in the summer of 1958 that a committee determined to build the flat-roof building, which was a temporary auditorium, and work began. And that water main was burst right in the summer, 1958. It was occupied in 1959. It was in the summer of 1961 that a committee determined that we needed to build this tabernacle auditorium. And the church voted in the summer to go into this important, expensive venture of faith. It was later in the summer of 1971, ten years later, the church voted to build that children's wing. It was in the summer of 1973, that the church voted to buy those 10 buses and invest $80,000 to try to reach Bowling Green for Christ and to make the church available and as close as the street in front of everybody's house across this area. Some of the great things that have ever been accomplished have been accomplished during summer months. I can think of souls that have been saved during the summer. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ in August in the summer months. I was called to preach and surrendered to preach in August. I was ordained to preach in August. A lot of you have had your lives changed and transformed during the summer. And the burden of what I want to lay on our hearts is that during these next months, June, July, and August, we dare not think that we're just on vacation. This is playtime. It's the time to do nothing. Twiddle our thumbs. Just take it easy until the fall. There, will, there are some people who will not be around in the fall. There are some folks who we need to reach for God who cannot be reached after August, after the fall or the winter comes. They'll not be here. What we must do, we must do quickly. And I want to challenge us to make this the greatest summer we've ever experienced in planning, in prayer, in concern, in compassion, in outreach, in making some goals that will be long reaching for the years to come if the Lord should tarry even into the 21st century. Now the second thing that I see in this passage, not only does this passage classify But this passage separates or divides people. Look in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 8 for a moment, if you will. This is not a very complimentary verse. (laughs) It says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. While having no guide or overseer or ruler, Provideth her food in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest." We learn a lesson from the ants. Now, nobody likes ants in your kitchen. I don't even like ants out in the camp. I like to get rid of them, stamp on all of them. I guess I'm a murderer, an ant murderer, bug murderer, snake murderer. I don't like them. But God put them there for some purpose, and they're all right if I just don't get around them. But we're told here to learn a lesson from the ants. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways. What are her ways that we should be wise? She's a busy person. The ants do not loaf. They never loaf. You never see an ant sitting around taking a sun bath. You never see an ant take almost all of her clothes off and lie around on some chair or go to some bath place somewhere so she can get suntaned. You say, Preacher, you're meddling. I'm not meddling. If the Holy Spirit applies that and bothers you with it, let him do it. You never see an ant loaf around and do nothing. They're busy people doing things that are, in, that are getting ready for the harvest, getting ready for the urgency ahead. They don't have long to do what they do, and say they do it quickly. I believe that's what God wants us to do. Our age has sort of watered down everything and anything that would cause a a difference of opinion. The other day I overheard a... I was with some some folks and they they weren't members of our church. They weren't necessarily Godly people, though they were church members. And I heard a boy cursing. And I said something to the boy. And some of the folks said, Well, you know, boys have to be boys. And they said, Preacher, everybody doesn't see it your way. Well, I'm well aware of that. I know boys have to be boys and girls have to be girls, but God is God. God told us some things in his book. I want to feel, I feel like I should say this. It won't be popular. You won't like it, but I'll say it anyway. Whatever I feel like I should say by the Lord, I feel like I ought to say it. I want to, I want to ask you to watch your televisions carefully. Now, there are two ways to watch. One is to sit there and look at it. The other is to be aware of what's going on. I thank God for at least one man in this church who, when the cable people came through, recognized that it would also carry those box office things, and he refused to allow the cables to even be put on his property. My friends, if you've got cable television, you need to be exceedingly careful. First of all, some of us can hardly live. I don't know how you can afford it. I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying that. Secondly, I heard, I overheard a conversation about a conversation that some young people had concerning their cable television. How they were able to fix the antenna in such a way they can pick up x-rated movies. Parents may not know that. There are lots of things that parents don't know that kids do. Now, kids, first of all, if you're a Christian kid, if you're a godly young man or young woman, quit being a fake. God knows you. I saw somebody the other day. I was shocked at what they had on. They said, well, I didn't think I'd see you. it make any difference whether they see me or not. They see God all the time. God is always there. You dress in such a way that God sees you all the time. And the things you listen to and the things you hear, the things you see with your eyes make eternal impressions. If you want your mind to be filled with gutter trash, you watch the X-rated things. But I'll tell you, it does something to your heart. At last it's like liquor, it biteth like a serpent, stingeth like an adder. It's hard on you. If it, it gives you, it lowers your immunity for godless things. And it disturbs your spiritual equilibrium, and it arouses you, and it causes you to have less of a conviction against the things that God has a conviction against so I just want to say that to you and if you're playing with fire you're gonna get burned I'd encourage everyone. I've done this for years nobody will ever listen to me I think it'd be a good idea if your television blows up let it stay blown up people have a lot more time if they don't watch television you have more time to read the Bible you have more time to pray You have more time to do the things sit around get to know each other I don't know how many homes I go in and they're just glued to the television. They sit there, or else they do the other extreme. They have the television wide open, and you go in, and, and uh, you say, am I interrupting your favorite television program? They say, well, no, I never listen to it. And it's there, wide open. Well, if they don't listen to it, why don't you get rid of it? Save some money. Give that money to the Lord. You say, preach your extreme. Yes, that's right. But I want to tell you, this passage of Scripture separates or divides us because our age has watered down everything and anything where there's a divergence of opinion. I was out visiting in a revival meeting several years ago and I, the pastor and I had gone, it was a little town, a country, a a county seat town and there was a courthouse up there and they were having a, they were having a Poker game, I guess. I don't know some kind of some kind of game up on the courthouse square. And I saw a bunch of kids. And the preacher said, uh, "See that kid over there?" He said, "We're going to that that boy's house." And he was down there playing cards with the others. And so we went down to this house and uh, went in. And uh, I just to get acquainted. I said, uh, "Do you have any children?" And uh, they said, "Well, yes, we have a son." I said, where's your son? Well, he's up there at the courthouse and riding his bicycle around. And he's up there at the courthouse uh, with the others. I said, you know what he's doing? Well, he said, uh, she said, they're, they're up there. They go up there every day, and they play some kind of game on the courthouse square. She said, I'd a lot rather him be there than just out riding his bicycle around the streets. The boy was up there shooting craps, and the mother didn't care. Now, that's the kind of attitude people have. Folks, let me encourage us to be careful where our kids are. The pool halls and the game rooms aren't such nice places in this city. And I don't know how where you are of what goes on at most of them. All of us know what the old pool halls were, where they were just gambling places and where they cussed and swore and usually ladies were not in there and the guys just said whatever they wanted to say. It's a little bit changed. Women are in there, too, but they still say whatever they want to say. And now they have prettier game rooms. They're next door to Minute Markets. And they're all dressed up with pretty lights, and it sounds nice, and it's all got this this modern touch to it. It's the same old thing. You allow your kids in there, you're going to come up with some heartaches and hurts and problems. I want to encourage you to be very, very cautious what you do, what you, how you allow your kids, what you allow them to do. This passage separates. It is not easy to put people to the task. But let's look at the Scripture. The thing we want to do is what God's Word says to do. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. This passage differentiates or separates people I want us to look for just a few moments at the word Christian in the Bible. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and when he had found them, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that for a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They were called Christians at Antioch. The word Christian only appears three times in the Bible. And in each instance, first of all, the first instance it was given by our enemies. The second instance, it came out of the lips of an unconverted man who said, You think you want me to become a Christian? And the third incident, it was used in connection with suffering. We bear the name Christian so glibly today. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. If we're going to impress upon our hearts what the word Christian is all about, how pressing this is, how important this word is, then we need to notice some things about it. This word Christian in Acts 11:26 26 was not attributed by a follower. It was not articulated by somebody who was already a Christian. It was given by our enemies. They said, well, you all act like Christians. You all act like these Jesus people. You all act like Christ's people, and it was a derision. I wonder if you were convicted, somebody said, of being a Christian if there were be enough evidence to sentence you. Lots of times we call ourselves Christians, but we don't behave like Christians. We don't live like Christians. We don't think like Christians. We don't act like Jesus people. The enemies were saying, you act different. You act like a gatherer. You act like somebody that's out here trying to reach people. Glendale Baptist Church has taken a lot of black eyes. I was interested over at the University this year, there wasn't much criticism of Glendale. I'm not hankering after criticism. We didn't have a whole lot of criticism because we didn't do very much. I don't usually say things like this but I'm going to say it. In the years when Glendale Church reaches out, knocks on doors, goes place to place, and rubs against the grain, you're going to hear some criticism, but you'll see some people saved. You see some lives changed. And when you don't hear that, everything's just going along rosy and fine, then we become settlers and we're like everybody else. You think for a moment. If you take no stand, against the prevalent issues today nobody's going to criticize you but you take a stand against abortion and immediately boy they hop on you you take a stand against liberalism and modernism and immediately they say why you're a independent or something you take a stand and go out for moral righteousness and they say why there's something wrong with you you just sort of fanatical Now I want you to see the picture. That's what they were doing in Acts 11. They were not saying, oh, goody, 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 he's a Christian. They were saying, he's a Christian. That's what they were saying. They were spitting on him. They were looking down at him. And ladies and gentlemen, if we don't want to bear that kind of name, then change your name. But if you want to be that kind of a New Testament believer that stands for something, then get ready for the ridicule. Get ready for some criticism. Get ready for some spittle in your face. What did they do to my Lord? They put their hands on him and said, God bless you, Jesus. You're a good little man. They did nothing of the kind. They hated him. They walked after him. They said ugly things about him. They took counsel how they could kill him. And finally when they had him arrested, they banged his face and the Bible says his face was marred and his visage marred more than the visage of any man. And when you looked at him, there was nothing to behold that was beautiful. He was mistreated and spit upon and ridiculed and crucified. That was the first Christian. You say, well, I can't take that. Then you're not much of a Christian. If you don't want it, then don't get, on, don't get in the army. You say you're making it off with of hard. That's right. The way of the Lord is a hard way. He that gathereth in summer is a wise man. He that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that bringeth shame. Why do you think Peter fell like he did? He went to sleep in the garden, couldn't watch with the Lord for an hour. I'm not sure any of us could have in that awful moment. We don't jump on Peter and talk about how ugly he was and awful he was, but I want to tell you, we need to identify with him and know the awful bitter tears he wept when he realized he had denied his Lord. And someday we may wake up and say, we have denied our Lord in the twentieth century in the last few years of the twentieth century, when we had an st- opportunity to stand. We went around saying, I want people to bless me, instead of going around saying, I want to be a blessing to others. When you get depressed and discouraged and you have some you can't get any satisfaction, you look here and you look there and so on, the problem is within you. Start being a blessing to others. Start standing for something, and God will bless you and honor you. The second time the word Christian is used is in Acts 26, 28. Would you look there a moment? Acts 26, 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The name was not uttered by a follower of Jesus, Felix. The politician had delivered Paul to Festus to be tried. Paul had requested a hearing before Agrippa. Now I want you to notice, Paul comes. You can hear his chains. He didn't come free, he was chained. What will he say? Will he cringe? Will he say, oh, please, Agrippa, free me, will you? I didn't mean to be so mean. No. Paul comes with his flagrant testimony, takes his stand for God, and with such persuasion, such earnestness of heart, he begins to tell Agrippa about Jesus. And Agrippa stops him and says, wait a minute, do you think with those words you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? Our English translation says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian? what's Paul's answer? Paul's answer is, I would to God that you weren't almost but altogether persuaded and to be like I am except for these chains. That's what I'm asking you to do in this summer. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. Let's get at the task. The f- third time this word is used in f- is in 1 Peter four sixteen. Look there, please. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Peter says this, By now the disciples were gladly accepting the reproach. There's a price to pay, and they paid it. They did not complain. We have complained. We've become like our own, well, we sometimes feel depressed and hurt because people speak evil against us and we're afraid of suffering when we suffer for Jesus sake then we're worthy of that name by which we're called we have a strange idea today that the only suffering we're to do is to have arthritis or bursitis or some kind of pain in our body and we walk around and say oh what a cross I have and the Lord will help me with it he will of course he will but that's not the cross. The cross that Christ wants us to bear is something we willingly take up, cross of service, the cross of being a Sunday school teacher, the cross of being a choir member, the cross of being a soul winner, the cross of being a tither, the cross of working and serving in the vineyard of the Lord. The cross of going on that Mexican mission, the Texas mission, the Ohio mission, the cross of holding the line here at home, the cross of voluntary service. That's what the cross is. It's a service cross. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The consecrated cross I'll bear until one day. I place it at Jesus' feet. And I say with Paul, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. I want to implore you today to be motivated by this passage. It enters the time factor. There's an urgency Terrible urgency of time today. Paul said, come before winter. Jeremiah said, the harvest is past, the summer is ended. God says, all day long have I held out my hand. The poet said, there is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. The writer of Proverbs says, he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The book of Romans says, God gave them up. I want to encourage you today. He that gathereth in summer voluntarily. He that sows so that he'll have something to gather. And then he gathers in summer is a wise son during these next three months. Let's make our lives count. Let's let our church count. Let's be faithful to Jesus in everything we do. And, beloved friend, if you're here without Christ, Don't think you can put that off and wait till some other more convenient day. Come to Christ today. Come while there's time. Come now. Jesus died for your sins, and He's willing to save if you'll come to Him. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank You for this Word of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts now. In these next closing moments, may someone who has never been saved come to Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing, Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come to Thee. I'd like to ask you step out from where you are and come to the Lord this morning just as you are you may say I don't know how to be saved come and let us show you from the Word of God will you do that somebody may say but I want to wait till I understand more about it why don't you come this is God's day God's hour let us show you from the Bible how to be saved. You may be a member of some other church and God wants you here at Glendale. Will you come while we begin to sing and Christians pray? Will you step out for the Lord this morning? God help you to do it.